Heidi and I hope that in the next week and a half when Don gets back that we'll actually eat something other than quesadillas and things like that. We hope that, uh, that all is going well with my wife uh, back as she takes care of or her mom who uh, is recovering from hip surgery. We have all these different phrases that we use all the time about hope. We hope that we'll have pizza for dinner this evening. We hope that there isn't a whole lot of traffic today on the 101 if we're heading up to San Jose. We hope that our parents, uh, those of you that, uh, that are parents uh, in, in here, you hope that your parents will actually get you something that you'll enjoy this Christmas time. Apparently, you could talk to Tracy Harris. She probably has a great gift for you, so her parents could, your parents could talk to them. That would be a great thing. We hope that the weather improves for Streets of Bethlehem compared to what we have right now. We have all these different hopes that we have, but here's something about the word hope, and especially in the way that we use it so often. Hope is a word that gets used frequently, yet there is something about the way we use the word hope that there almost seems to be this thought in the back of our, in the back of our minds, and it's this. I need to brace myself for when what I hope for doesn't happen. Think about it. Every time that you say, I hope for something, in the deep, dark recesses of your mind, there is that small voice that says, this isn't going to happen. And we carry that over in all areas of our lives. And what makes it interesting, especially for this Sunday, is as we talk about hope, we take that little dark place in our minds where we don't quite think it's going to work out. And we transpose it, we, we transition it, we transform it into the same thing holds true about God. We have this doubt in our minds, and so for us to be talking about a God of hope, in the midst of that, there's this certain uneasiness within us. But hope from a biblical perspective is more certain than the force of gravity. Hope from a biblical perspective is more certain than the sun coming up in the east and, and setting in the west. Hope from a biblical perspective is more certain than Salinas always being windy. Hope from a biblical perspective is more certain than Highway 68 not being a parking lot from 6.30 in the morning to 8 o'clock in the morning heading to Monterey. Hope from a biblical perspective means this really is going to happen. How do we know that? It's because we have a God who is undefeated. So what we wrestle with as we go into Advent and as we talk about hope today, what we wrestle with are these voices in our head that says, he's probably going to drop the ball eventually. And he'll never drop the ball. All of us have had issues or, or experiences in our lives where something hasn't quite gone the way we wanted it to go when it comes to God. Yet as we look back in life, we can say, wow, he was involved in the midst of this. We have these battles of disappointment. We have these battles of, of wondering if we can truly rely on him. And as we go to Scripture time and time again, we see this to be true, that God is a God of hope. 
that God never lets us down, that God will come through again and again. And as we work through this series in Advent called He is on the Way, we're looking at prophecies from the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah was quite an individual. Isaiah served as a prophet for 66 years. He saw a whole lot of good, and he saw a whole lot more bad. And Isaiah was connected. He had amazing connections. One of his, well, one of his nephews was a guy by the name of, of King Amaziah. And then he had a cousin by the name of King Uzziah. Isaiah was connected. He was connected in so many ways, and so you would think that in the midst of these high, high powerful connections that he had, that hope would spring true all the time for him, yet oftentimes it didn't. And yet Isaiah, like the other prophets, was given a task, and the task was this, I need you, Isaiah, to speak forth this message to this people. We're tempted when we talk about prophets, we're tempted to think that all they're talking about is something that's far off in the future. But yet, a biblical perspective of prophet is this, is that they simply speak forth the truth of God. And that's what all these prophets do. Isaiah speaks into the present situation, and it's, it's relevant for what's going on there, and it has relevancy for later on. And so as we take a look at this book of Isaiah, not the entire book, but just some prophecies in it, we understand that Isaiah understood people then, and God understands people not only then, but he understands them now as well. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, the book, uh, the chapter 11 there. You can scroll there on your Bible app, or, or if you want to use one of the Bibles in the pew, it's on page 575. But we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses. We read these words. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of Yahweh, and he will delight in the fear of Yahweh. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down to, their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious." In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. Father, we would pray now as we come into this time in your word. 
we would ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we can see hope. That you would open our ears that we can hear your message of hope. That you would open our minds so that we can understand what hope in you is truly all about. And that you would open our hearts so that they would be transformed by the hope of your good news. Lord Jesus, may no one hear anything that I say, but only what it is that you desire them to hear and need them to hear, and that you would receive all glory. So Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, use this message for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hope needs a place to start. It has to start somewhere. And the people in Isaiah's day, they needed hope. They needed a reminder that hope was still alive. They needed a reminder that even when things look bleak, the Lord is still working. Think about that. So often when things look bleak, it's very difficult to think that God is in the midst of it. And the people in Isaiah's day, things were looking, were, were looking more and more bleak each and every day. And in Isaiah's day, it was bleak. It was bleak. And you'll notice that Isaiah understands how bleak it is. Look at verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. A shoot will come up from a stump. Not some great, glorious, magnificent tree or an oak of Lebanon, but a, a stump. The people prior to this had clamored for a king centuries prior to this, and they had, they had seen God do great things. And, and in the midst of this, one of the greatest kings of all time, by the name of David, came on the scene. I invite you to flip a few pages back. Go to Isaiah, or not to Isaiah, but go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and listen to what happens here. Because things were not looking all that good. King Saul was floundering at best floundering at best and the people needed a king the people needed someone that would be that representative for them and we pick it up in verse 4 Samuel did what Yahweh said when he arrived at Bethlehem the elders of the town trembled when they met him they asked do you come in peace Samuel, Samuel replied yes in peace I've come to sacrifice to Yahweh consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, Eliab and, and thought, surely Yahweh's anointed stands here before Yahweh. But Yahweh said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. Yahweh does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, Yahweh has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has Yahweh chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, Yahweh has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? 
They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome figures, features. Then Yahweh said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of, the, of Yahweh came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Things look bleak. Samuel is with Jesse's family, and this is where this king is going to come from. All the sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel says, no, 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 continues on, and it looks hopeless. But here's what's interesting, is that hope always shines brightest when things look bleakest. Hope always shines brightest when things look bleakest. You can feel Samuel saying to, to Jesse, are these all your sons? Isn't there someone else? There's this sense of hopelessness. And then David comes along, the youngest one, one that nobody expected to be the king. He comes along, and God used David to establish a kingdom that the world had never seen before. This little group of people, the people Israel, became one of the mightiest in the area. They were conquering lands. They were doing all types of things. They were advancing and doing amazing things because David had a heart after God. And so the people rejoiced in that. The people thought this king, thing, this king idea is going to work out really well. But look what happens by the time we get to Isaiah 11. This strong belief that we have the right king, this strong belief that our hope will be in this king is now a stump. A stump. It had crashed down. By the time Isaiah is writing this, things are not good. Things look hopeless. And you can feel that in what Isaiah is saying here is that in the midst of this stump of Jesse, notice what happens. From the roots, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Even in the midst of everything looking grim, even in the midst of everything looking bleak, there is hope because God is a God of hope. If your life is looking bleak right now and you feel like all you have is a stump, God says, I'm still at work. I'm not done. And that's the truth then, and that's the truth today. Verse 2, the spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of Yahweh. And he will delight in the fear of Yahweh. Hope starts somewhere and then hope always needs to stay somewhere. It needs to be there. It needs to stay there. And that's what makes hope so difficult for us is that so often it seems to be fleeting. And the reason why it's fleeting is because we have misplaced our hope. And when you misplace hope, it leads to displaced lives. This mother who was a doctor, and perhaps you've heard this story before, this mother was a doctor and she was, she was on her way to, to do her rounds at the hospital and she always took her first grade daughter to, to school. 
and her, her stuff was in the back seat, and so she puts her daughter in the back seat, and as, as she's getting in, as the mom is getting in to drive uh, the car, the daughter grabs the stethoscope and puts it on. And the mother is ecstatic. She's going, oh, this is going to be glorious. My first grade daughter now realizing that she is going to be a doctor one day. And she began to have all these daydreams at, at that moment. It was this sheer moment of bliss, of one day celebrating, perhaps practicing with her daughter together. She couldn't help but go to that place of, of seeing her daughter graduate in med school and then practicing medicine alongside her. And so as she looked in the rearview mirror, this grin goes and, and it just develops and it's humongous on her face. And then her daughter says these words, hello, welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? The mother was instantly devastated. She had placed her hope in her daughter being this doctor, but now her daughter doesn't think about being a doctor. Her daughter thinks about, let's go to McDonald's. So often we misplace our hope. We put our hope in things that will not be able to stick around. We place our hope in things that are not faithful. We place our hope in people that are fallen. We place our hope in ideas that are here today and gone tomorrow. What we need is a hope that stays. And Isaiah points the way to that. Isaiah points the way to that in verse 2. And look what happens here. Look what happens. We have these words in verse 2. The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of Yahweh. And he will delight in the fear of Yahweh. Remember, misplaced hope leads to displaced lives. And now Isaiah is saying, there is one coming that you can place all your hope in. And you'll notice as you look at verse 2 and verse 3, there are seven, seven adjectives or seven descriptors on this. And I call this list the significant seven. I call this list the significant seven because, because seven is a big deal in Scripture. And oftentimes people say the number seven means perfection, but that, that's true in some instances. But, it's, but the number seven speaks more to fullness and completion. For example, God rested on the seventh day, meaning everything's done. And so we have this list of seven here. And what we're going to do here for the next number of minutes is we're going to do what I call Bible hopscotch. Okay, we're going to play Bible hopscotch. The reason why is that we're going to see how this all connects to Jesus because he's the one in whom we place our hope. So the first thing is this, the spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. Flip to Matthew chapter 3 and we read these words. We read these words starting at verse 16. It says this, <clears throat> excuse me. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Isaiah points to this one that says the Spirit of Yahweh, the Spirit of the Lord, is going to rest on him. 
And we find this to be true in Matthew chapter 3, that as Jesus is baptized, all of a sudden, the Spirit rests on him. Then he talks about having the spirit of wisdom. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, we read these words. And this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It says this, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of their law. This wisdom that Jesus shared in the Sermon on the Mount was, was, it was incomparable. The people could not believe what they were hearing. The wisdom was so rich, and the wisdom was right there the entire time. And then we're told that this, that this one that whom the Spirit will rest on will also have a spirit of understanding. We go to Hebrews chapter 4, and we read these words, starting at verse 14. He says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And I love verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus Christ understands your life entirely. He understands the good. He understands the bad. He understands the temptations you face. He understands the obstacles you face. Why? Because he was fully human. So he's that one. And then we read that he has the spirit of counsel upon him. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13, these two brothers were having an argument. And I love what this one brother says. He says this in verse 13. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And I love Jesus' response. Man, who appointed me a, me a judge or an arbiter between you? Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of evil. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Here's an interesting thing about Jesus. People always went to him for advice. But Jesus never went to anyone for advice. He was the one who provided counsel. He never needed counsel. And then we're told about his might. And in Mark chapter 4, we read about Jesus in the midst of this storm and winds like this, perhaps. On the Sea of Galilee, Jesus shows his might by saying to the wind and the rain, calm. And they calm. Then we're told about his knowledge. The spirit of knowledge will rest on him. In Matthew chapter 22, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and all these other people had bombarded Jesus with all these questions. And Jesus answers every question. And at the end of Matthew chapter 22, it says this, No one could say a word to Jesus in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. His knowledge was un, uh, it was just unmatched. The people could not, they could not get him to budge. They could not get him to make a mistake. And then lastly, the fear of the Lord. We talked about this last week, about the decision that Jesus Christ made in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he's there and, and in Luke's Gospel, it talks about how hor horrific this experience was for him, that he sweat blood but yet he understood the fear of the Lord and he said, not my will, but your will be done. 
Jesus Christ understood that he was to be in, he was to be the one that followed after what his father said. So you'll notice this, that Jesus Christ checks every single one of these boxes in the sevenfold thing. Every single box is checked. And we're not going to go through the entire book of Isaiah and find all these prophecies and say, Jesus checks that box, he checks that box. The fact is, he checks all the boxes. And so why do we have hope? Why do we have hope? We have hope that starts with God looking out for his people. We have hope that stays because of Jesus Christ. And then we have hope. And what happens when we have hope is that hope shifts. It shifts. We pick it up in verse 6. The wolf will, li will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. Hope shifts, shifts our expectations. And that's what happens when God gets involved. When we allow the God of hope to get involved in our lives, all of a sudden our expectations can shift. Because nobody expects, look at this, nobody expects a cow to feed with a bear. Nobody expects a calf and a lion to lie down together. The only time that's going to happen is when the calf is inside the lion after the lion ate it. But because of hope, expectations shift. Because of hope in God, our expectations become something different. This church, 144 plus years, has seen its hope placed in a variety of things. But what ends up happening when we place our hope in things that are not of God, things fall apart. But when we place our hope in God, all of a sudden our expectations shift. 28 years ago when Streets of Bethlehem started, there was hope that this event would go smoothly that week. Little did they know that that event would continue on for 28 years and that thousands of people would experience that event every single year. Hope, when it is properly placed in God Almighty, shifts our expectations. And the other thing that hope does is it brings actions. We have hope in Jesus Christ. We have hope in the one who's taking care of us. And notice all of these things from verse 6 all the way through verse 9. There's action involved. There's action involved. And look at verse 9. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. There's action involved. People see what hope is doing. And the reason why we can have hope is because of Jesus Christ. He's the one who brings change. He's the one who brings warring parties together and brings peace. We're told that we were once enemies of God. But Jesus Christ comes in and makes us friends. You see, Jesus Christ is our hope. He is the one who gives us what we need. He is the one who went into action. And not only does he go into action, and not only does he, does he shift our expectations, but he also shines brightly. Verse 10. 
In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. And notice what happens next. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamat, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. Hope shines forth when Jesus Christ is present. Folks, we live in a world. We live in a world that is growing increasingly hopeless. It's just growing increasingly hopeless. People continue putting their hope in things that will not last. People continue putting their hope in ideas that are here today and gone tomorrow. People continue putting their hope in an economic recovery and all these types of things. But those things don't last. It's shifting sand. We live in times of increasing hopelessness. And what I love about Isaiah chapter 11 is the hope that is presented. Look at this in verse 10 again. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand, not, not, not be incognito, but will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. Why? Because he's the only hope that we have. He's the only one that is undefeated. He's the only one that will not fail. He's the only one that comes through time and time again. And notice in verse 11, notice where the people are coming from. They're coming from everywhere. They're coming from everywhere. Because hope rests in God Almighty, the one true God. And so as we enter into this Advent season and we kick it off with this look at hope, I want to throw, this, I want to throw a statistic at you right now. Something that I hope jars you. Because we live in a world that's hopeless and getting increasingly hopeless. But we have within us, those who've placed their trust in Jesus Christ, we have hope. And how significant is it? Here we go, listen up. What is 750,000 miles long? It could wrap itself around the earth 30 times, and it grows an additional 20 miles longer with each passing day. Here's your answer. It's the line of people on this earth who do not know Jesus Christ. It's a line of people on this earth who are without hope, looking for hope. It's the line of people in this world who need Christ. Every single one of us, I don't care how old you are or how young you are, every single one of us is encountering people who need hope. And what better time than now to share with them the great hope of Jesus Christ, the great hope that he will change their lives, the great hope that he will, he will take care of them, that he will walk them through whatever they're encountering in their lives. We have a God of hope, not a God of doubt. We have a God of hope, not a God of uncertainty. We have a God of hope that has never been defeated. It's my prayer during this Advent time.
that we would share with people who are hopeless, that we would share with them the hope of Jesus Christ and that their lives would be changed. And that our lives would be changed in the process because we have a God who gives us hope. Father, we pray as we contemplate these words, we pray that you would remind us that you give us hope. And as we hear wind outside and we hear raindrops hitting windows, many of us in this room are in a storm right now and we need hope. And I pray, O oh Father, that in the midst of the storm, when things look bleak, that you would remind us that you give us hope. That you would give hope where hope is so needed. And Lord, that you would then open our eyes to the opportunities that are around us all the time to share your hope-filled good news with people that are looking in all the wrong places. Use us, Father, to be that person who points them to the one who gives all hope, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for checking all the boxes. Thank you for being the secure one. Thank you for being the one who will not fail. May we know that anew this season, and may others come to know you through our lives and through the hope that we found in Jesus Christ. Do your work, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.